So good morning. Good morning, welcome to our, our service here at Brighton this morning. Um, you're all very welcome and uh, particularly like to welcome uh, Tim and the Rusty Brains uh, members. You're very welcome amongst this morning and everybody, you're all, as I say, very welcome to join us, uh, joining us here as we worship God together this morning. If you're a bit confused about um, the, the signs that say please do not sit in the seats, it's so that we can get round and serve communion. So Tim will explain how that's going to work a bit later on. But that's why. It's not to stop you sitting in your usual seat. Um, or it's nothing about um, uh, maintaining isolation. Um, it's about allowing us to get around. Um, so this morning's service is, service is led by Tim. Um, and this evening at, back at 6 o'clock this evening for our prayer. And then 6.30 for our evening service. And Marion will be leading us. And Tim will be speaking this evening. If you'd like to join us for refreshments after service, uh, we are still serving tea and coffee. Tea and coffee in the hall to the rear of the church. Coffee at the trolley over here. And if you'd like to pray with someone at the end of the service again, there'll be people down here in the prayer place. Please do take the opportunity to pray with somebody if you'd like to before you go home. A couple of notes this, this week, as you may expect. Um, you'll have seen, if you've read the bulletin, that the Heathfield uh, service tomorrow is not taking place. Heathfield have asked us not to, to go in tomorrow. And the same is true for Ash the Ashton Lee service later in the month. Um, and we're not quite sure, obviously we wait to hear from them as to whether uh, we'll be invited back in to those two. And PMA have taken the decision as well uh, not to meet now again until the, at least Easter. And the committee will be meeting over Easter to decide what to do about their meetings. There's no PMA tomorrow um, and, and up until Easter. I know there are a number of people not here, so just to let you know, one of the things when I find the right people to ask, going to see if we can put the whole of the service online this week. So rather than just the, the sermon, I think in readings, we might put the whole of the service so that if you want to know how to get at the service for those that can't make it or don't want to, have uh, chosen not to come along this morning, please do have a word and we'll direct you to the right place to do that. Um, and also, just to let you know, there's a notice in the bulletin about the film, the 2040 film, that has also been postponed. So that will uh, be rescheduled for some time later. I think that's everything. Sorry. Um, over to you. Thank you, Yes, son, I apologise if there is a uh, piece of paper on your favourite chair. Uh, the intention is to avoid passing offering bags or communion plates or communion trays around. Uh, so if you're a deacon serving communion, or if you're, if you're passing the offering around, hold on to it and don't let it go. And uh, the, the idea is that the, the, the places where people are sitting should enable you to reach everybody with, uh, with what you need in terms of communion or something. It doesn't quite seem to be working there for some reason. Uh, so if, if you're sitting in a seat that had a please don't sit here thing, then yeah, move along. That'd be good, thank you. Um, we had some great prayer meetings yesterday in church, praying for the whole situation. A lot of prayer concern about social isolation uh, resulting from coronavirus, and we do want to keep business as usual as much as we possibly can, and to support people who might be struggling in any way. Uh, so if you find yourself you know, not able to come or isolated or a bit concerned, do let us know, and we will support you as best that we can. So, welcome to our service, you brave people. Thank you for coming today. I call to worship is on the screen, and I invite you to say together the words in yellow. 
I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will sing your praise. I will praise your name for your love and your faithfulness. When I called, you answered me. You made me bold and stout-hearted. May all the kings of the earth praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. May they sing of the ways of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord is great. Though the Lord is on high, he looks upon the lowly, but the proud he knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand you save me. The Lord will fulfil his purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. So let's stand and sing together. Two on two seven. When I call on your name, you answer. <laughs>
person of God's Son, Jesus Christ, when love came down to earth and made his home with men. The hopeless sound of hope, the sinner found a friend.
And as we come into your presence together, we ask that you pour your love again into our hearts by your Holy Spirit, so that we might glorify your name in our worship, in our lives. May we live to be a source of blessing to those around us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. My right foot has a problem. It's not wearing a shoe. And it makes it difficult to walk, actually. It's quite uncomfortable. And if, there, if there's stuff that's, that's hard or unpleasant, the foot goes, ouch, that hurts. So it sends a message to the brain that says, brain, I've got a problem here. I haven't got a shoe on. Now what does my brain say? Does it say to the foot, it's your problem, not mine. You're too far away for me to be bothered with your problem. I'm all the way up here. Do all the way down there. You are so inferior to me that you just don't care. I have pride of place in the body. I don't need to bother with you. Is that what your brain says when your foot says, ouch, I'm hurting? No, what your brain says to the rest of your body is, everybody, foot's got a problem. Come on, let's work together to sort this out. Okay, they all say. So the whole body actually kneels down, bends over, puts the shoe back on, sorts it out, makes it better. Every time you put your socks or your shoes on, your whole body has to kneel down and bow low in an expression of humility. Paul said in the body of Christ, we pay the greatest honour to those parts of the body that lack it. And every time you bend down to do something with your foot, the lowliest part of your body, remember, the Bible says that's how we treat the lowliest people. The people who lack honour, the people who don't count, we bow down to serve them. And when we do that, we are behaving like God. We never say to anybody, you don't count, you're too far away for me to bother with, I'm immeasurably superior to you. We humble ourselves to serve the least and the lowliest among us. That is our calling as people who follow Jesus, who gave his life for us. So we're going to sing together, 717, fill your hearts with joy and gladness, because it talks about humble hearts being exalted, human pride and power being laid low. And as we lift God up in praise, we humble ourselves before him, and we humble ourselves to serve each other as well. So let's stand and sing this together.
of your heart and you want to express gratitude to him or worship of him by giving a gift, there is a chance to do so. That the bags will be coming down and asking the people, passing the offering down, not to let go of the bag, if you can. Uh, so be understanding, because it's the first time we've done it this way, and it might not go 100% smoothly, so let's take the bag from them, put something in. If you haven't come prepared for this, don't be embarrassed about not putting anything in the bag, because lots of people here give by standing order, and they don't put anything in the bag either. So the people think they're really spiritual if you let the bag go by. Okay? So, but if you want to put something in the bag as an expression of your thanks to God, please feel free to do so.
One of the groups that meets here in the church on Friday afternoons is the Rusty Brains. Uh, and Tim Wilkin gathers here with a whole group of people on a Friday afternoon. And uh, we are very, very pleased to be hosting you and partnering with you. And uh, you said, can we come to church? And we said, yes, you can come to church any Sunday, but please come and share what you do and what you're about so we can pray for you and hear something about this, this great job that you do on a Friday afternoon. So Tim, over to you. Come, come and talk with us about Buster Friends and those with you as well. Thank you. shoes on. <laughs> Good morning everybody. Um, it is a real pleasure to be here this morning. Um, as Tim said, I'm Tim Wilkins. I work for Alzheimer's Society in Horsham across West Sussex and I'm very fortunate to facilitate the group we call the Horsham Rusty Brains, which meets every month here on a Friday at Brighton Road Baptist Church. Joining me this morning are three members of the group, Sue, Ian and Greg. As Tim said, we thought it was about time we came along to tell you more about the Rusty Brain, so thank you for inviting us, Tim. Before we hear from the three Rusty Brain members themselves, I want to tell you more about the group, what it does, and the brilliant members who attend. The group is for people who have a diagnosis of some form of dementia. Members are functional and leading their lives, doing their best to live well with the condition. Most of the members have Alzheimer's, which is the most prevalent form of dementia. The Focus on Dementia Group, Alzheimer's Society title for a group like this, first met on Friday, September the 23rd, 2015, and joined with four other very similar Focus on Dementia groups in West Sussex. At the first meeting, the name Horsham Rusty Brains was selected. Other suggestions that day from members were Horsham Heroes, Horsham Brain Trust, Horsham Crusty Brains, and Horsham Trusty Brains. However, I think Horsham Rusty Brains will agree is the best name out of those. The group that currently has around 14 to 16 members is for people with dementia to have their say about the things that matter to them, from having dementia-friendly shops to helping promote awareness of dementia in a range of different local communities. People with dementia are the experts on what it's like to live with the condition. The Rusty Brains, along with members from the four others established in the county, make sure their expertise informs the development of local health, social care and community services. The views of people affected by dementia are critical to achieving our vision of West Sussex becoming a dementia-friendly county. We feel very fortunate to have Brighton Road Baptist Church as our venue for our meetings. Staff and volunteers are really wonderful and offer some wonderful support. Get to know the Rusty Brain members and make sure they feel comfortable and safe and I feel comfortable and safe as well. Before I ask Sue and Greg to join me and ask them some questions, I just want to show you just some slides of the things we've been up to just over the last few months. So this should work without having to point to it actually. So that was um, when we were over there as well, thank you Tim. Um, so I mean, trying to normalise things, we had a store, one of the members organised over at Broadbridge Heath Fate. We've had it for the last two years, selling books and DVDs. We were the busiest store there, because people were thinking, people with dementia selling books and 
DVDs. I think by the end of the day, we were nearly giving things away, to be honest, because we were just having such a great time. It was really good. All the money raised went to Alzheimer's Society. Every year, we get an invite to Collier's Sixth Form College to go and speak with their health and social care students and have a great time, often do a workshop with them and look at the different ways we can help them as they move towards degrees about meeting people with dementia. That works rather well. Having Jeremy Quinn here for the afternoon was rather nice to our meeting as well. Um, I think it's interesting, he thought he was going to come along and talk about dementia, but everyone was more interested in talking about all the development of houses and the infrastructure around. So that worked really rather well. Um, that was quite a good meeting that day. Um, Christ Hospital School, another one who invites us to go and meet their medical society, which is a lovely afternoon out. We often have tea in the Great Hall, and it's a real example of um, joining the communities together, really. And I think that's the third or fourth year we went a few weeks ago. Um, this is something that hopefully will play a part in all your lives in somehow, but over at Nyman's Garden, the National Trust um, Garden over in Handcross, about 18 months ago they approached us and they wanted to look at how they could have a sensory garden within the sort of partially ruined building there. This is opening in April and those members there, all standing there, are from the Horsham Group, the Crawley Group and the Mid-Sussex Group. And there was about 50 or 60 people there that day. And it's really moved on rather well because the National Trust has now partnered up with Alzheimer's Society to form a partnership across all their gardens, across all their sites, for them to become more dementia friendly. And Nyman's is just one of many, I think it's probably over 500 gardens, so hopefully they can all offer that to so many people who go along who are affected by dementia. This is something you may have heard of, I don't know if any of you have seen the lanyard with the sunflowers on it that lots of people are using. Um, it was devised at Gatwick Airport. This is one of our members who you can see there, Paul and his wife Penny. And you can just about pick out the sunflower lanyard. They had assisted travel that day, but also displaying the lanyard for anyone to use just gives the, um, enables people, I think, to travel a lot better. The staff at Gatwick, 25,000 of them sometimes, throughout the airport are aware of what that lanyard means. It means that someone may need some more help. It's now being adopted at Tesco, at Sainsbury, and a number of different supermarkets, and all sorts of travel companies are going to use it as well. So a really wonderful thing, really, and it does work rather well. Not just for people with dementia, for people with Parkinson's, stroke, um, autism, Asperger's. It really is a nice, a nice concept of working rather well. What I'm going to do now is I'm just going to ask the Rusty Brain members here that have very kindly come along some questions, just to get an idea about why they like coming, how they found out about their diagnosis, etc, etc. So guys, this is the big moment for you. This microphone this should work any minute. Brilliant, thank you. So, right, let's start with Greg. Now Greg um, lives on his own. He has lots of family support. So if you could just arise, please, Greg. You can just stand up and everyone can see you. Well, we always laugh at Greg. Sometimes he gets meetings. He's often late for meetings. But there's no one to prompt him, so you can understand how difficult that can be. Why do you enjoy the Rusty Brains meeting, Greg? Well, I, I, I like Rusty Brains. Uh, it serves me. Yeah. Uh, it helps me. So, uh, yes. And um, Greg, you're a big walker. You do a lot of walking. You've sort of gained the support of other members of the group who now walk with you. How does that work? I think you walk both days, most days, don't you? Well, at the moment, no, but uh, yes, I do an awful lot of walking. Good answer. Yes. And 
Yes, it's quite a few people, but it's not a group. I, I, I clearly fact belong to a walking group as well, so. Yes. It's great to one of our members out one Monday, and um, he was absolutely exhausted that wall for three days after that, so <laughs> that went quite well. Ian? Um, you're a rusty brother. Yeah, I think you have, yeah. Um, how did you find out about your diagnosis? Um, the last couple of years I was working, I was a pharmacist. I couldn't remember what the alternate names of drugs were. I'd look it up and I think, oh yes, that's what it is. And when I was at home, my wife would ask me to do something and I'd sort of walk off and then I'd get halfway there and think, what have I got to do? And I couldn't remember. Yeah. And I'd go back and then I'd remember. And it was different things like that. And eventually she said, you've got to go. I was going to the doctor for something else and she said, tell me about your memory and whatnot. And um, I did. And uh, to cut a long story short, I was diagnosed, sorry, diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Yeah. And um, it, it's... It has progressed a little bit. It's it's strange the way because I can remember what I was doing 30, 40 years ago. Asked what I was doing last week, and I already have to think about it. And it's um, quite. You're doing very well. On the way down, I said to you, let's practice and walk down together because we live quite close. And we practiced a few questions. And the first one I asked him was, why do you like coming to Custody Brains? He said, to get away from the wife. So, <laughs> I'm not sure that was the right answer. But never loving the wife again. Right, thank you, Ian. So, um, you're a, um, you were at Crust most of last weekend. Yes. How many, how many dogs have you got? I own six fat and terriers. Right. And so I'm like, I've been showing dogs, I don't know for how long I've been doing it. And like, if I started with a pyramid and mountain dog, which would be, and I've been sat with a sword. Wow. That's right, yeah. And I have six. And I walk them, you know, I do walk them every day. And do you think that helps your sort of living with dementia? I think so, because people talk to you when you've got a dog. And they say, where do you get it from? And all this. And for me, I've gone up and down the country doing going places, and they say, no, no, don't believe that you're doing it. <laughs> no, it's great, isn't it? It is great, yeah. Just, and the people are so helpful. One of the things, one of the things you're very keen on is telling people you have dementia. Yeah. Is that something that's positive, do you think? Yes, I think so. Well, I tell you, when I didn't know what I was doing when I went to the first um, a doctor. She, 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 I mean, she was my doctor. Yeah. And she handed it to her and she gave me a piece of paper. She drew, drew some lines over this piece of paper and said, now do it again. And I said, what the hell is that to do with me? <laughs> That's how you're diagnosed, but the dogs make such a difference to your life, don't they? Yes. So Ian, one of the things that I know you're very keen on is telling people that you have a diagnosis. How does that work?
that's happened is, is you know, the idea of dementia-friendly communities and Horsham's working towards that as well. But you know, people like this, I think, who are very brave, who are willing to discuss their dementia. We have sort of well over 16 in Horsham who come to our group, who make such a difference to everyone else's lives who are affected by dementia. And um, for us, having this group in Horsham has made such a difference to so many people in Horsham, not just the people who are affected by it, but also everyone working in shops and banks, having someone coming in with dementia and saying to them, oh, can you just do this? Can you change that? Can you make sure there's always someone to speak to? Make such a difference. We now have dementia-friendly film screenings at the Capitol once a month where these guys were instrumental in sorting that out. They were very keen to do that. You know, just turn the lighting up a bit, turn the volume down a bit, and all those sort of things. And it's made such a difference to Horsham. And these guys are the ones who've done it. So I'd like to say a massive thank you to them. And thank you very much for listening to Chris today. If you feel there's stuff we can do to support you more in terms of what you're doing, do have a word, and we're very pleased to do that. Thank you, Sarah. Okay, great, thank you. Carol's going to come and lead us in our intersection. Thanks, Carol. <coughs> In our intercessions this morning, I want to begin not in this country, but <coughs> with several countries beyond our shores. And then secondly, to pray for our country and our government. And then for children and young people and those who around us need care and comfort. And I would like to pray as well for the trusty Rusty friends. <laughs> Almighty and everlasting God, we bring to you our prayers this morning, knowing you are a faithful God who hears and answers prayer, not always in the ways we expect or desire, but according to your will. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Loving Father, we constantly live in a world saturated with information. And as we see and hear the daily news, which so often is bad and not good, and see the disturbing pictures of countries and places in today's world, we can only cry out to you for your mercy, your intervention, and your forgiveness 
for the state of so many nations today. In your mercy, Lord, hear our prayer. Firstly, we will pray for Syria and Yemen that have been in the news this past week, both suffering years of civil war. Five million refugees have fled from Syria since conflicts began, among them thousands of Christians and many children traumatised during the war and suffering hardships. In Yemen, the United Nations warned last year that more than 22 million Yemenis were in immediate need of humanitarian aid and over half that number on the brink of starvation. Loving Father, we pray that where there is so much uncertainty and fear, hunger, homelessness and heartbreak due to tensions, turmoil and terrorism, may your hands reach out to rescue, restore and redeem. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. The third country is Zimbabwe, a country Brighton Road Church has had contact with in the past and present and visited. The country is in an economic crisis due to recurring drought, the worst recorded in a hundred years which struck last year. It has also suffered decades of corrupt, despotic rule. Loving Father, we pray Zimbabwe will recover economically after all that has happened in recent years. We pray that Christians will be free from oppression and an end to human rights violations and a desire for truth, justice, and peace. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. The fourth country, Nepal. In September 2018, a new law came into effect that Christians could no longer evangelise or public, publicly confess their faith without risk of arrest. Loving Father, we thank you for the Christian hospital in Nepal and we pray you would continue to bless their work and witness. And for all Christians in Nepal, help them to live courageously and continue to be your witnesses, sharing your love and shining your light. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We will pray for our country and government. Obviously, there is great concern about the effects and spread of the coronavirus and the uncertainties of its duration. Also, the need that the government may work together and make wise decisions. Heavenly Father, many are worried and anxious about this virus, especially those of older years and who live alone. 
We pray that, as in recent flood disasters, there will be a sense of responsibility and concern for one's neighbour and a willingness to give a helping hand. And for our government, an adapted prayer by Frank Colcohan. Lord God, all wise, all merciful, hear us as we pray for those who bear the responsibility of leadership and government in our land. Give them in their deliberations wisdom to know your will, regard for your laws and respect for human rights, that they may seek to lead all people in the paths of truth, freedom and peace, for the glory of your name. Amen. Now for children, young people and family life, which so often is fraught, fractured and fragmented, with many problems and anxieties. Loving Father, we pray that despite the many problems, children will receive and know they are loved and cared for, and will have the opportunity to learn of your love for them. And as they grow up, in the challenging, confusing and turbulent world that you will guard them from influences and dangers of things like drugs, social media and other harmful sites. We pray that as a fellowship we will support parents and encourage children as they grow up and learn how best to accompany them in that journey, that they will come to put their faith in you and seek to follow your ways. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And loving Father, we would not forget those who are sick in mind and body and their carers. And we thank you for the Rusty Brains group in our midst this morning. And we pray that you will bless them. And we just pray for each one, if they have anxieties or worries, that they may know that you love them and you will care for them. And we pray for those who are absent, who are not so well. We pray you will ease pain and be present to them through the support of carers and friends and know the warmth of your love. You know the needs, whether it's dementia, which can be so distressing, or pain and sickness. Would you be all to each one as you see their need? We thank you for carers, and we pray you will give them the patience, strength, and wisdom that they need. In your mercy, hear our prayer. We'll just have a brief time of silence in which each of us can pray for someone about whom we are concerned. And then I'll conclude with a short prayer which I have used before but I think is relevant today.
Lord, your promises we claim to help us face what each day brings. When changes come that disturb our rest, challenge puts faith to the test. You know our frailties and our fears. We have struggles, sometimes pain. Keep us close, trusting you. Grant us your grace to see us through. Tomorrow is beyond our sight. We cannot know what it will hold. You give us just today to walk with you along life's way. Amen. to stand and we'll sing together, tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord. Verses 1 to 10. 
What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Challenging words. Before we consider them at more length, let's see together, come down. Oh, love you.
the current situation that I could preach on from the opening verses of James chapter 4. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Has a certain relevant ring to it at the moment. It's hard to read of people and fighting and quarrelling because they want what other people have got without thinking of those women in the Sydney supermarket coming to blows over the last packet of toilet paper. So precious has this commodity become. In fact, in Hong Kong, armed robbers stole 600 toilet rolls worth £160 as they were being delivered to a supermarket back in February. There's nothing like a bit of a crisis for bringing out the worst in people. Equally, it has the capacity to bring out the best in us. But what determines how we respond? To some extent, it depends on our perception of how our own needs and desires compare to the, the needs and desires of those around us. The more urgent my own need, the less likely I am to be tolerant of yours, whatever that is, because you don't count as much as I do. The more self-important we are in our own eyes, the more likely we are to be aggressive towards those around us. Different situations can act as trigger points for us. It seems to me that whenever I go shopping in one particular supermarket, no matter which queue I join in, I'm always stuck behind a customer who takes ages packing or fumbling in their personal voucher or has a voucher that the automated system doesn't recognise or a cashier who can't find barcodes or doesn't know what to do with this particular customer or a customer service person who disappears and never comes back. I could go on, but you get the picture. It doesn't bring out the most kind and understanding side of my personality. I blame my mother. She took me as a small child to this particular brand of supermarket. I've been traumatised ever since. <laughs> but for other people, it's when they get behind the wheel of a powerful car that they expect anybody else to get out of their way. Even when they are the ones pulling out into a busy street of traffic or going too fast or wanting to cut into a queue at the last possible business. Yes, that winds me up as well, I have to confess. When we get under stress, we get quite territorial about our time, our space, our priorities, what I need, what I want, how important I am. And James has some harsh words of rebuke for those of us who lapse into that kind of behaviour. If you are driven by the strength of your own desires for what you want, that is going to lead to quarrels, fights and arguments. Because what you want is going to clash with what somebody else wants. And how do we deal with that? When we allow ourselves to be driven by our own selfishness, our own anger or frustration, so that we discount other people around us, we can become quite nasty people. Disconcerting to see how thin the veneer of civilization is in our society. Once things start to go wrong, we show our true colours. Fear and greed are two of the most powerful forces that drive destructive patterns of behaviour. And we've seen a bit of those in recent days. And the more we give in to them, 
the more likely we are to guarantee our own unhappiness and the misery of those around us as well. But a humble person is less likely to respond in this kind of way. Almost by definition, someone who is humble doesn't think that they are the most important person on the planet. There is a recognition that they share the social space of their life with other people who have needs which may be more important than their own. Who have desires and priorities and needs that may be equally valid. And where clashes or conflicts occur, the humble person is prepared to try and see things from the other person's point of view. To stand in their shoes. And even be prepared to support them rather than riding roughshod over them. It follows that if ever you need someone to look after you and take care of you at a vulnerable point in your life, then get a humble person to do it for you. They are far and away the best person to be looking after you. So at this point, I take my hat off to anyone here who spends a chunk of their time caring for somebody else. And I admire the qualities that enable you to do that. Does humility come naturally or easily to us? I'm not sure that it does. Even if we know that we are not top of the pile, and we know that there are people to whom we need to defer and who we have to serve, it's almost instinctive, and this betrays that the fallen human nature, that we're looking for somebody else below us that we can look down on and lord it over. If we feel we are oppressed ourselves, we feel better if we can oppress somebody else and push it down to somebody else. So that we're not bottom of the pile. We're better than somebody, and we find ways of showing them that we're better than they are. It's a natural, nasty human tendency. And it's nothing to be proud of. To be humble, to be like Jesus, is actually really hard. Think of him humbling himself to wash his disciples' feet, humbling himself to come down from heaven, to be with us, to die on the cross for us. That's to be godlike rather than human-like. And to be humble like that, most of us, maybe all of us, there may be one or two exceptional saints here, but most of us need God's grace. Actually, if you're a saint, you've got God's grace. So everybody needs God's grace. Which fortunately, happily, is freely available to us because it says in Proverbs, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so we know that if we need that grace, if it's not there in our emotional bank, then we need to ask God for it. And in the very act of asking God for something that we know we lack, that puts us in a humble place. God, I haven't got what I need. Lord, would you give me the grace that I need? And that's a good thing, not because God wants to keep us in our place, but because humble people are so much nicer, so much better at interpersonal relationships. And God really cares about our relationships with each other. It's better for everybody, everyone around us if we are humble. It's not the same as being a doormat. 
I want to make that quite clear. You're not just there to be trampled on and bossed around and abused by those who think themselves they are superior to you if you are a humble person. A humble person still knows their true worth, their true value, is aware of their own dignity and looks to find ways of preserving that by choosing to serve, by choosing to respond to other people in a certain way if they are unpleasant. It's the point of Jesus saying to his followers, look, if a Roman soldier compels you to carry his pack for a mile, carry it for two. You have to carry it for a mile. You are legally obliged to do so. There's nothing you can do about that. But you can choose to carry it for another mile as well. And that takes the power away from the Roman soldier. It puts you in a position of saying this. This is how I'm going to respond. I'm going to make it clear. I'm not carrying your pack because you forced me to do it. I'm carrying your pack because I choose to do it. And the humble person is aware of their own dignity. Not a doormat. Someone who's not there to be bossed around. But I'm choosing to serve. I'm choosing to be humble. So being humble doesn't mean that in your heart you allow others to look down on you or treat you as if you don't matter. You do matter. And knowing that you matter empowers you to decide just how you will behave. Just how you will respond. And that means that at all times we can choose which emotional pool we're going to fish from as we confront different situations. Are we going to hook up anger and fear to deal with this person? Or are we going to draw on the reservoir of God's grace within us? And if someone is pushing your buttons or trying to put you down, remember James's sound advice, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. God gives grace to the humble. What do we need grace for? We need to grace to come with other people when they are awkward or unpleasant or rude or wrong. We need grace for forgiveness when we've been awkward or unpleasant or rude or wrong. We need grace to cope with the pressures that are coming upon us from all sorts of different directions at the moment in our society. We need grace to be humble in all our dealings with each other. And God gives that grace if we ask him. Before we come to communion, we're going to listen to a song that expresses so much of this. And we're going to allow that worshipfully to lead us into sharing bread and wine together.
Jesus said, don't be afraid, little flock. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So let's stand and sing together. Hear the call of the kingdom. Lift your eyes to the kingdom.
May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.